0: What I really mean by this is it's the CEO's job, uh, responsibility, authority uh, to, to set the agenda on three things, meaning that they're the ones that can do it and nobody else really can to produce the results that you want. So the three things are culture, people, and numbers. Okay. Now, do I mean that nobody else in the organization has a say in or a voice in or can participate in those three things? Not at all but it's the CEO's job to set the agenda, to say, this is the culture that we will live within. And these are the people that we will hire to fit in that culture. And the culture working with those people will produce these numbers. And if these three things aren't true, then we may not want to be here. We may want to make a different choice completely.
1: everyone to the Kingdom REI podcast. This is your host, Ellis Hammond, founder of the Kingdom REI mastermind and another incredible I say this every time, man, but this we got a We got a good we were just pre show and um, chatting about a lot of things. You know, a lot of you listening to this show are entrepreneurs, real estate investors, you're finding success in your company. But I think the thing that really that really separates those who are doing a couple hundred thousand a year, maybe even, you know, small seven figures a year to those who are doing 10, 50, hundred million dollar companies. The thing that I observe is that they treat their business exactly like that as a business that not just a real estate portfolio or not just an entrepreneur endeavor, but as a true business. And that means they must become a true CEO. And so today we have the author of a book called a CEO only does three things. And I think this is cannot be a more relevant topic for this audience of really learning what does it mean to be a CEO of our business, of our life, of our family, and of our faith and how to really crush in those areas. And so without further ado, I'm so, so excited to bring in our guest today, Mr. Trey Taylor. Welcome to the show, brother.
0: Ellis, thanks for having me, man. Thanks for that warm intro. Appreciate that.
1: Dude, I'm just pumped, man. Like I want people to be excited for this show as much as I am because you know, I was telling my story off off um, the recording. I was a pastor. I was a missionary, and, and here's the thing, though, dude. I had a business. I was a business major. Like that's what I studied in college, um, at, in administration. But still, man, no one really taught me to be. In, now that I run a, a, a real estate fund, a multi million dollar real estate fund, we have this King Mario Mastermind. No one really taught me how to be a CEO right like and how to think as a ceo and really run and build businesses a lot of that i've had to join masterminds or pay for consulting or read books you know and so i think a lot of us get into business because we have a good idea or we just like to make money or whatever it is but we still don't really there's such there's a second education that has to happen that some of us learn it the hard way we have to go through the hard knocks and so i mean i'm just grateful to
0: have you here well i'm i'm grateful to be here and i love that sentiment because that's the life that I've lived. That's the origin story that brings me here as well. And uh, in sharing my thoughts and ideas of what I lived through in order to learn how to be a CEO, not only just be one, but try to be a good one and, you know, in reach to try to be a great one a lot of times. That's why I had to write the book.
1: So Trey, before we get into the real meat of this, man, I I'm, I, I know who you are, I'm familiar, but a lot of people may not be. And so can you just... Um, give us a 30,000 foot view of the companies that you that you're the CEO of and kind of what you're doing. I know you're out of Valdosta, Georgia, if anybody in the Georgia, great state of Georgia is listening, yeah. hometown boy, but um, could you just maybe give us the, the companies that you are the CEO of and kind of the activity that you have going on right now?
0: Yeah, so my primary job right now is running our family office. So uh, we just onboarded the fourth generation into the family office. My niece turned 18; she graduates high school next weekend, and the first thing that she gets on her 18th birthday is a little package to say welcome to the family because mm-hmm. now she's an adult and she's looking at that. So what does a family office mean? It's just a way that you know conceptually that we manage the wealth of three generations so that we're not uh, wasting that or or all of us trying to go our own way or something of that nature, because there's some value of managing it all together on a generational focus. And uh, and so that's what that really means. Now, one of the assets that we own there from a private equity standpoint, meaning that we own the company is our family business, which is an employee benefits and insurance and financial consulting business we've had for 54 years. Uh, we also own a couple of real estate uh, development companies and investment companies as well. do a ton of real estate uh, syndication participation and real estate fund participation there. And then just because of my own background in venture capital, uh, I run a lot of investments in early stage technology companies and invest in funds that do the same things. Funds like Y Combinator, Atlanta Seed Company, Tech Square, you know those, those firms that are really trying to find the next, you know, Facebook, Google, those kinds of yeah. companies out in the world. So cool. those are the three branches, and then fourth, just for me, outside of the family office, I do consulting, speaking, and 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 writing.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, man. There, there's. 45 minutes is not going to be enough. I can tell you that much right now. We're going going to need some follow-up, man. There's no doubt. So, uh, well, let's get in. Trey, if you don't mind, man, I'm just going to pray for us still quickly and ask God to use this time together, man, and and then we'll jump in. So, God, we we thank you. Thank you for another brother like Trey and just how our our paths have connected. And I know there's just tremendous value um, in what he's written and wants to share with us today, becoming the CEO of your business, of your life, of your faith. God, would you um, give us your anointing, your power, your wisdom, uh, through Trey to, to really lead like that. God, you want us to be leaders of these areas in our life. And I just pray that we would come away with, um, just new knowledge and wisdom in how to, uh, live powerful lives as, uh, as your people. And we pray that in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So, Trey, I share with you. You know, I just shared this earlier. Like I, this idea of being CEO, man, I, I think is very relevant for our audience because we get into business and we start managing a real estate portfolio and we want that to grow. And we're really good at maybe analyzing investments or talking with investors, but really being a CEO is a whole new level because that means we have to start treating our revenue center as a real business and not just as something we're selling or growing. And so. Let's start here. What are the three things, man, that every CEO should be focused on? Does that mean that we shouldn't focus on other things?
0: So it sort of does. And uh, kudos to you. You don't know how many podcasts I do where the host never gets around to asking me what the three things are, (laughs) even though we wrote the title to sort of prompt (laughs) that question. A CEO only does three things. The the proposition here is that it isn't that CEOs don't have to-do lists, right? Like I have to call back a contractor this afternoon, and if I don't, I don't have somebody else who's gonna do it in the way that I want it done. So that's not the case that I'm not working a to-do list and doing a full day's work, right? What I really mean by this is it's the CEO's job, uh, responsibility, authority, uh, to, to set the agenda on three things, meaning that they're the ones that can do it and nobody else really can to produce the results that you want. So the three things are culture, people, and numbers. Okay. Now, do I mean that nobody else in the organization has a say in or a voice in or can participate in those three things? Not at all. But it's the CEO's job to set the agenda, to say, this is the culture that we will live within. And these are the people that we will hire to fit in that culture. And the culture working with those people will produce these numbers. And if these three things aren't true, then we may not want to be here. We may want to make a different choice completely. And when a CEO gets those three things wrapped up and touches them every single day, actively touches a, a piece of the culture, touches one of the people in some kind of way and numbers in some kind of way, uh, then you're living a very different, much higher level professional existence so that when you get to the other things on the to-do list, you've already done your job for the day. The other things are just moving the football a little bit. There's
1: so much human that I've been learning that I'm so excited that you, you, that you share those three things. You know, culture. This is something that's really interesting to me because I feel like a lot of times we'll write down a mission statement or we'll write down our vision, we'll write down our values and we'll put them on the wall. And that's really all that culture really means sometimes. And so define for me culture and what you mean, like as a CEO, yes, I've done that once. Real estate professionals, I'm talking to you. Are you serious about growing and scaling your real estate business or portfolio this year? Do you lack a community of peers who share your ambitious vision and love for God? Listen, I know early on I felt like I had to choose between these two passions. Oftentimes my communities were split between business and faith and there really wasn't a place where both entrepreneurial success and kingdom advancement was being celebrated. This is why we started the Kingdom REI Mastermind, the real estate mastermind, for kingdom leaders who are investors, fund managers, syndicators, brokers, lenders, eager to honor God and transform their communities through business success. Look, we've helped more than two dozen real estate professionals just like yourself find resources, partners, or just even giving them permission to take their business to the next level while keeping the main focus on the kingdom of God. So, Uh, Listen, if you're interested, this is truly an application-only community. Why? Because inside of our mastermind, relationships are everything. We believe this is the key to growth, and I want to invite you to see if you qualify by heading over to thekingdomrei.com and filling out an application. I personally screen all applications, and if I think we can help you, we'll set up a call to discuss further. Look, there's no reason you shouldn't head over to thekingdomrei.com to learn more. Request your invitation. Start building relationships and doing deals with the best kingdom leaders in the industry. We have testimony after testimony to prove that you are literally one connection away from the faith, the family, and the business success that you desire. So don't wait any longer. Head to thekingdomrei.com. But... But thinking or, you know, I guess not just setting the picture, but being involved in that through the lifetime of a company. Talk to us about maybe the successful companies, what they do in terms of culture from the beginning and setting vision values and then really living that out through the life of the company.
0: And you're hitting all the right keywords. I love to work right to left. Okay, so let's look at a culture uh, where it's working and when it's working, your culture shows up in the behavior of your people without you being anywhere in the zip code. Right, so we're all suffering through a pandemic now, and my people are now scattered all over the country. They're working from every part of the country. You, you, you're in San Diego. I got my new marketing person's up in uh, Minneapolis. You know, uh, I've got a designer who's over in Moldova. I've never even been there. My EA, who's been with me five years, she's British. Never even laid eyes on her. You know, so how do I know that those people are are living? Uh, the culture. How do I know that that's coming through? And it's very important. So the first thing that you have to do is you have to take that values inventory. What is it that we believe should be true in the world? And that is the CEO's job to figure out what that looks like. When you're not in the room and you want someone communicating on your behalf to someone else, what is that message? Is it laced with profanity? Is it all about short-term gain? Is it, um, you know, beneficial to you and no one else? You have to decide, you have to really frame out that culture, both what those values are, what they are not, and how it looks when we act in concert with those values. And so that is a big deep dive process that takes a long time. And the CEO is the only one who's ever going to have enough motivation around that to get it done and get it done properly. So that's the first phase. You got to figure it out first.
1: You know, I'm reading this book right now, and I was reading some stuff in your book too, and it's a similar language. I don't know if you've ever read the book Vivid Vision um, with, uh, gosh, Cameron Harold, now, the CEO yep. of 180 got junk Even the way he talks about vision and values is, you know, the way that most of us would do it was just we all sit in a room and we come up with, you know, we try and do this collaborative thing. And I love what both of you were saying here is that this is actually the role of a CEO, like the leader to come up with the true values of what this, you know, someone's got to lead and direct this. And so when you're sitting down or let's say someone's in a company and and they've, they have a value or vision statement, or they've come up with their values. Let's go back to that though, of like the important things of really creating values up front that stick through the life of a company? What, what are some best practices that you see working or that you consult companies to do when they're creating those?
0: So you have to look at the things that you want to be true in the world. And this is something I'm sort of feeling my way through and some some subsequent writing that I'm doing. Why do we start companies? We don't do it necessarily to have some money, right? We, we don't do it necessarily to have a little freedom. We don't do it because we hate the boss that we just quit or something of that nature. At the core of what we're doing is we are saying, I'm going to run a company the way that all companies should be run, right? I figured it out. These are my values, and this is the way that this process should be done. It's an assertion. It's an argument before the court that this is the right way to do it, okay? Undergirding that is an implicit statement of these are the values, and what are are values? Values and culture are interlinked. Culture is simply those values that you cultivate. It shares the same Latin root word. It's those things that you take care of and nurture so that they grow and become available to other people for benefit. So that's what values are. So when we sit down with CEOs and we go through this process in a consulting engagement, we are looking to say, what's true in your organization? What do you wish wasn't true in the organization? What do you wish you saw a lot more of, right? And how do we frame those things out? And we want to get to a workable list. So I have one client has 35 core values. In my opinion, it's too many, but it's his company, not mine. My company has 13. We call them the B attitudes, right? Um, I have another uh, a client has four. The point is that we want to have a workable enough number that not only do you write these values and you get them and they're a little bit aspirational because you don't ever want to be perfect at them all the time. You want to always be working mm. to wow. be better at them, right? To be deeper in the experience of them. But uh, you also want to ritualize them. You want them to be a part of the daily experience in the company. So for example, in my insurance company, uh, once a week, we send an email. Somebody in the company is is you know has a list, and they choose their name off the list, and it's their week to talk about the beatitude of the week. So this week, uh, this week's beatitude is be truthful, right? It's number seven for us. Seven is uh, is 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 in the middle of one and thirteen, okay? And 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 so everything circles around being truthful in what we do, and how do you tell the truth, and when is it appropriate to tell it, and and in what manner. And we talk about those things and somebody sends an email to say, this is how I see this being practiced in this group. Here's a person who tells the truth in a gentle, but legitimate way or accountable way or authentic way, you know, and then you get these little stories that come out from people all over the organization that I couldn't find these stories if I tried to as a CEO. So I've enlisted everybody's help in sort of helping me ritualize that. Uh, That's just one little example of building a ritual around it. So culture, you identify the values, uh, you sharpen them up, you really clean them up, you put a theme around them, uh, and then you use that theme to ritualize so that they become part of the behavior of your people.
1: I'm just taking notes, man, because I think that's so good because again, most times we just stick them on the wall and there's no ritual. Like, I love that word of ritualizing. I mean, think about us as Christians, like you know the the, the 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 table, right? The the communion table. I mean, there's a ritual there that that communicates something so much deeper. You know, in our church, we actually take communion every single week, and part of that is because it's a reminder. It's a it's a ritual that connects us to uh, Christ Himself and His sacrifice, and. And, you know, in some ways, like your values are that important to your business, right? I mean, this is what you're, you're trying to, you want your culture to embody um, for the rest of the world. And so I absolutely love that, man, that you're setting that. Um, and then you're ritualizing that through different processes. You know, another thing I really appreciate about your, your values that I'm learning is that, you know, their, their statements, like, they're things that people can actually live into. They make sense. It's not just like one word, you know. Like because one word right. is hard to really like you know, that could mean a lot of things. But there's a real, like as you said, um, you can visualize them. I think that's really important in in terms of creating a culture. Is people can read your values and be like, okay, I get what this company is about.
0: That's exactly right. And then even in our office, Ellen, and people can get so creative on these things. We took the 13 Beatitudes, handed it to my graphic designer and said, make a poster, a huge poster of each of these. And that's what lines the wall of our office. We've got pictures of ourselves, you know, people in the company, their kids, those kinds of things, very important to us, family, business, you know, that sort of thing. But they're interspersed with the values as well. Let me so this. even like, next to the coffee pot, you know, we've got you know, a little- You, you mentioned of your values.
1: EA and everyone's around. I just other yeah. pra- like it would be helpful for me, man, practical things that you do to help instill your culture with a virtual team right now? Like I, you, know, you said, you do something on a daily basis or weekly when you're, you know, you have your different values, but when your team's spread out, how do you keep that culture if you don't have an office per se?
0: Yeah, so we believe in what's called management cadence. And so every day we should work inside our to-do list, right? So each member of the team should be working on something that moves whatever their particular football is down the road. They don't necessarily, and, and frankly, should not be managed on a daily basis. If they're being managed on a daily basis, they're probably not a fit for our high-functioning uh, the way that we choose to do business. You know, not not to say that there's a wrong way to do it, but that's just not our way to do it. We do meet as a team on a weekly basis, and at the beginning of that team meeting, we say, "Hey, here's the beatitude of the week. It's be truthful." I'll read out the beatitude, or somebody else will. I'll say, you know, perfect example is. Tom, my buddy over here, uh, he told me a piece of truth last week that I really needed to hear. I appreciate the way that he did it. Another person will come in and say, yeah, but don't forget William and the way that he delivered this bad news to a client in a way that was truthful, yet caring. You know, and we have, I don't know, two to three minutes of discussion around that. Just like that. The last thing that we do is uh, when we do project planning, when we are deciding what is it that we're going to work on projects have to meet 51% of our values in order to be considered. So at the very top of our project planning sheet, we have all 13 values listed out, and somebody has, whoever the project sponsor is, has to go through and say, this is good for accountability, Uh, this is intrepid, which means risk-taking that's important to us, this is client-focused, this is abundance-minded, this is, uh, you know, we'll serve truth in the world. You know, whatever those things that it is that are doing. If they don't at least meet fifty-one percent, we don't do it. Mm. Period. Mm. If it if we can't connect what we are doing, uh, the what of what we are doing to the why of what we are do why are we are doing it? We, we, I'm not interested. There's mm. plenty of uh, other things to do in the universe that I can that I can connect to my values.
1: Hey, real estate investors, are you still in the fence about the Kingdom REI Mastermind? I want to let you know about an upcoming event we have. In August of this year in Dallas, Texas, we are bringing together some of the biggest names, brightest minds of the multifamily industry for a three-day event. This is the exclusive opportunity for our Kingdom REI Mastermind to really get together and learn from industry leaders who are also kingdom-minded and the chance to rub shoulders with the right partners who can help you grow and scale your real estate business. So, if you're interested in the Kingdom REI Mastermind and attending an event like this, go to thekingdomrei.com to request your invitation. That's thekingdomrei.com. All right, so that I mean, that's a master class. I mean, there's so much more here, man. I, unless this is um, a cardinal sin, and you can tell me if it is or not. I want to skip people for now. Come back to it. I want to go to the, finance, the numbers. The third thing that you say is, and only because... We hear a lot about people and culture, but man, honestly, I i, I was not going to say surprise. I'm glad to see it because a lot of CEOs I respect talk about this a lot, but I feel like this gets overlooked, the idea of numbers. And yeah. so I want to make sure we hit it and talk about what do you mean by numbers and what are the important things to really, as a CEO, be tracking. This is for sure my down. Like, I'm like, <laughs> I'll tell you the number I look at, you know, Money coming in and just like spending. I mean, that, those are probably the two things of like, okay, how much money do we make and how much money do we spend? But is there more to that? Let's talk about what you mean by the numbers.
0: So, and I like the fact that you're doing this because sometimes people look at it and say, oh, you have to start with culture and then go to people. It doesn't have to be that way at all, right? So when I do consulting, I come in and I just figure out where are we running short here? Do mm-hmm. we have a good culture, but bad people? Do we have a good culture, good people? but we have no idea what our numbers are. So you can start anywhere in the process, but you're going to loop through all of them by the end of the day. So for with numbers, for example, um, I have some very specific learnings that I've had over the years. And the reason that I think numbers are the province of the CEO is because it's the agenda setting, right? It's the CEO's job to say, this is what we will achieve in order to achieve the overall mission. These are the things that we will track. Does he have to do the tracking? No, you may have a CFO or a bookkeeper or somebody else, you know, my ops manager owns our numbers, for example, reporting wise, but I set those numbers every year. I set them in concert with the group. So I call in all hands. We talk about what do you think we can produce this year and how many, you know, real estate deals can we do? And should we look at this in a certain way? I do that work um, collaboratively. I do not collaborate on the culture. That's a CEO alone. Right, And on people, my collaboration group is a little bit wider, but largely up to me to put the right people in the company. So for numbers, we basically sit around for a week in, in late December, early January, and we figure out what those numbers are. Then we are extraordinarily, almost uncomfortably so, transparent about those numbers. So everybody in my organization right now can go to my Google Drive and pull up last month's P&L statement, cash flow state, everything that I take to my board meeting, which I have coming up this Thursday, anybody in the organization can see that, right? And they can drill down almost. Now, salaries is one thing that we don't um, necessarily expose everybody, but we do have a line item for salaries, right? Because when you start getting really deep, people might get uncomfortable um, with somebody knowing what they make. But the point is spending, all of the spending in the organization is there. And all of that is tied to a bonus structure and an equity structure for those who are creating the value, right? Mm-hmm. The Bible says the worker is worthy of his hire, meaning you really better take care of the people that are there and you take care of them with numbers, right? If, if they are worth being hired, uh, then you, you got to take care of them. And so we're very transparent on that. When I first got transparent on numbers, what I realized was my people didn't have the economic education that I had, the financial prep and that sort of thing. They literally did not know the definition of profit margin and how to do a profit margin calculation for break-even. So they would come to me and say, hey, we need to spend $200,000 on a marketing system, and it's going to break even because we're going to produce $200,000 in revenue. I was like, guys, that is not how it works. I don't run a hundred percent margin business. So we've educated each other over time on all of that sort of thing. So now they come to me and say, we're running a thirty percent margin on this line of business. We want to invest two hundred thousand dollars. We should receive benefit within twelve months of eighty six thousand that improves. They know how to do that, and they were never taught anywhere else how to do that except our firm. So you got to be transparent. You got to be focused on education. Lastly. You got to give people a say in 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 what the bounty is, right? And so we have a charitable um, um, uh, presumption in our business that we're not going to keep and spend every dollar that comes our way; that we owe that uh, in in different places. And so everybody in the organization gets a say on where we put those charitable resources. So we take our 10% as we're instructed to do, and then the rest, the other um, one and a half percent that we give of total gross right now goes into a bucket and people get to decide, uh, how we allocate those funds each year.
1: So uh, this is so good, man. Like talk to me. And I think a lot of people don't take the time up front. Like you talked about annually or maybe in your reviewing this quarterly is you're setting in concert, your numbers, meaning, you know, what's coming in. Is there a, um, a formula to this or a pattern that you say that you project, like talk to us kind of the the actual outline of setting the agenda or the numbers for the next 12 months, and then how you track that on a quarterly basis, kind of how you come up with that. I think that would be really helpful.
0: And and maybe from
1: your family office standpoint, Trey, because you know, th- that might be maybe the most relevant business to a lot of our listeners. You know, you talked about deals and revenue there. Maybe, maybe use that as a personal example.
0: So I use this formula across all of my businesses and this is the core of my consulting. This is what people hire me to come in. And this
1: do. is, this is why I have a podcast, man. Cause I get thousand dollar <laughs> consulting for free every, every time I do this. <laughs>
0: I like it. I like it. Um, uh, and, and I can—I don't know if I should share my screen because I've got a little graphic on it. I don't have to, but oh, that would be um, cool. This
1: is a YouTube. We're we're on YouTube season two, man. So hold on, let me. Uh, you know, we're about to, yeah, guys. This is a great plug tray for my YouTube channel. So absolutely, you can. Uh, so I'm going to give
0: it. I'm going to bring it. Okay, I'm going to give you the exact consulting. Guys, that
1: I do, King and I can Mario, type in RI on YouTube and make sure you find this video because we're uh, we're we're going on screen
0: here. Let's go. All right, here we go. I'm going to share this and you can see us there. Can you read that? Uh Okay, so this is the pyramid. And what I have found is when I was doing consulting work for turnarounds after 9-11, so I was in the venture capital business. Venture capitals would, they would bring businesses to me and say, we don't know if we should invest money into this company now. Are they going to make it or are we throwing money, good money after bad money? So we developed this system where we came in and just comprehensively, we looked at 10 areas, culture, workplace, management systems, plan for growth, team of people, marketing, sales, operations, customers, and financial results. And were we putting those, three, those 10 things together in a way that uh, we could build a strategic action plan, meaning 12 months worth of action to achieve a desired result? So here's what I do when I come into companies now. I take, and you have to agree to this. If you don't agree to it, we don't work together. I email a, an anonymous survey to everybody in the company, the receptionist, the guy that makes the coffee, the mailroom guy, everybody in the company gets it, right? We typically get a really high response rate and they, and they are anonymous. I don't care who answers it or what they say. I collect and collate all that data as it comes back. And I say things like, um, how confident are you that your business has a trust and teamwork-based culture. Scale of one to a hundred. They they provide all of that, and I bring it back. Then I sit the management team down, and typically that's the top, you know, ten to twenty percent of the company. Some people are are oriented that way. Some people aren't. Some people have a two-man company, you know, and so that's what we do in that two-man company is that we talk about it in those terms. And then I say, okay, you scored a seventy-eight on culture. You want to be at 100. How do we get there? And I let the client tell me what they already know, which is we don't do this well. We really suck at this. We're really good at this. But these are the things that if we were doing on a consistent basis, we would get to 100% score on um, on that metric. And then we take that and say, okay, you have four quarters to get to 100%. How are you going to do it? Who's going to do it? How much are we going to spend on it? When's it going to be done? And I write the business plan, the strategic action plan. Uh, it comes back; it's gorgeous. Uh, my designer does a beautiful uh, version of it, and everybody in the company gets a hard copy of the business plan, the strategic action plan. Now, can you say things
1: again? Those repeat that the um, when you sit down, those four. You said four things: how, who,
0: oh. Uh, uh what what are we going to do yep to get to 100% who's going to do it when's it going to be done by and is there a budget or, or are we going to you know are we going to spend money to do it got it okay if i have those four pieces of data i can come in and say hey you 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 identified relevant marketing is somewhere that you're not doing very well and you want to improve that to 100% next year you said that you want to professionalize your communication your copy of your offers you know the 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 presentation deck for properties, all that sort of thing. We're going to allocate. You've told me you're going to allocate, uh, you know, 5K a quarter to that. So you've got 20K to spend on that. You've told me that Ellis is the one that owns it and it's going to be done by June the first. Okay, I put all of that in a plan. And now, as the CEO, when I meet with you, I simply say, "Boom, boom, we're in June. Is it done? Right? And every month before June, I'm going to ask you." Are you red or green on this? Are we on track or are we off track? And if we're off track, is there something I can do to help you to get back on track or are you negotiating through it and you're gonna get it done, right? And it's a very healthy conversation. The defensiveness that comes into you know, accountability conversation sort of goes away because of that. And you've got a lot of ability to uh, focus on what needs to get done and nothing else. And this, just to tie it back, this is exactly the kind of transparency and accountability that a CEO's focus on having the agenda set for numbers gives you. Hmm.
1: Wow, that, that's a master plan. And I, I love, even in the way that you're, you're describing that, man, is the CEO mindset of, and I, I think, that, you know, again, I hope this is, these are all light bulbs that I've learned in the last couple of years. But I think so much we get caught up in like how am I going to do this? And what I've heard over and over from you, man, the it, it, CEO is really empowering. And this maybe leads us into people. Lastly, it's empowering the people around you. That's why, um, you know, the biggest companies. I, I, one of my mentors says people are never an expense. People are always an asset to what you're trying to do because they carry the vision. The, the the they carry your vision forward into the world. So that's right, um, man. I love that. Uh, Just that explanation right there.
0: Yeah, and this gets us around the the number one sin of management is is lack of delegation, Mm -hmm. right? The best CEOs, the most effective people you know, are somebody who's figured out, not that they should delegate. We all know that. But they figured out how to delegate, how to say to someone, here's your job. Here's crystal clarity around what perfect performance looks like. And here's when I need the result back from you. Here's the rules of engagement when you can ask me for help and when you should be able to do it on your own, right? Here's budget. Here's everything you need to accomplish it, all the tools that you need to accomplish it. And I look forward to you bringing it back to me. Most of us don't do that. Most of us say, hey, this is your job. Go do it. And then you come back and say, "Uh, well, I hit a little bit of stag. No problem. Let me take it and I'll do it for you. And you'll watch me do it. And the next time you'll do it yourself. And then I spend 13 years doing your job for you. Right? That's how most, and when I say most, I don't mean 97%. I mean 99.97% of executive interactions are.
1: So, Trey, this is like the tension right here, man. I mean, let's just chat because I hear you. I really do. And, you know, I think my problem a lot of the times is you're right. I don't sit down to write out how long this should take you, how much money you have behind this. You know and and going back to the culture once you have your value like the values bringing into that conversation as well but i do find myself trying to delegate tasks and oftentimes having to give constant feedback you're right kind of like oh man I, i if if i knew how to build a website i could do it better i just don't know how to build a website right so that's my mindset and that's kind of the way when i it's i'm always going back and forth like it, does it come down to, am I not, like what's more important or which one comes first? Hiring tens, like really good people, and maybe this is a people conversation, or am I just not giving good instruction or delegation, right? Like how much of this is the chicken or the egg, people versus me as just the leader, I'm just not good at delegation. Help me a little bit in terms of building and growing our business.
0: Um, so b- flying blind into the question, Alice, it's probably you. Yeah. Right. But (laughs) but you get what you require. Mm. Right. Same thing with me. Right. A big thing has come to me uh, recently over the past probably five years. People are going to exist at the level that they're going to exist at. Right. So they're never going to outperform that level by three X on a consistent, sustained basis. It's not going to happen. They're going to work at the level where they're psychologically protected, where they feel like they're doing a good enough job. It's just the nature of working for someone else. When you're the only guy there, the only girl there to get the job done and and all failure rests on you and your family, you mentioned your daughter upstairs, when that rests on your shoulder, you act at a a much higher level because it's way more important. Your your employees are never going to act at that level, right? So that's different. So we have to improve ourselves. In improving ourselves, very often our people will either step up or step out, and then we have to replace them with someone else. So I am not into the whole top grading process of I need A players and 10s and that sort of thing. Rather, what I want to do is to really articulate, really figure out what the position requires and then match that to someone's natural psychological state. And I go into this in the people section of the book at a great a great level. It's called time frame and level of work. Um, and, and that is a big mapping exercise, right? For CEOs to figure out that, hey, if I need this person to function at the optimal level and bring me results in a year-long time frame without me having to manage them and fix them all the time, then that's a certain level of person. That certain level of person demands a certain level of compensation in the market. You know? And if I can't deliver that, then I have to hire somebody lower, but then I have to put myself in more of a management role. And maybe I'm getting results quarterly or monthly or weekly, hopefully not daily. So we really structure that. And it's planning. You have to plan for that in advance. Um, the Bible says the plans of the diligence lead surely to abundance. Right. And the hasty come to poverty. Right. And what I see in that is you've got to put the time in to be slow in your planning and quick in your execution rather than being quick in the planning and slow to execute. That's good. Yeah. Man. Wow.
1: Wow. That's good, Trey. That's good right there, man. So let me ask you this for you. This is too short, man. I'm telling you, No, yeah, we're going to bring you back on. I, seriously, we got a whole mastermind community that I'd love to bring you in on, man. We'd do some, share our stage with you. This is good stuff here. Um, I, I'm curious though, and because I do have to jump as soon as this interview ends, I want to ask you this. In your family office, what is your one thing activity? Like what is, as CEO there, what, what's the most important role that you, uh, that you do for your family office in vetting, finding investments, and ultimately just trying, if you, you know, growing the, 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 the generational wealth there? What's your most important one thing?
0: Well, not to double back, but the the most important thing that I'm doing right now is establishing a culture around how the family office is supposed to act, right? It's only 18 months old. There is a lot of tension inside a family when one generation has built up a lot of wealth. Another generation has built up their own version of that wealth. How do we get both generations comfortable with the idea that we're going to invest in this that we've never done before? We had a huge crypto conversation inside the family we don't understand it, we're scared of it, that kind of thing, and yet there is money to be made there, there's investment thesis to be formed there, you know, that kind of stuff. More important than that decision, which we deferred by the way, we didn't make the investment. Why? Because we didn't have the cultural underpinnings to be able to do it. Right. And so that's what I'm really working on right now. We will we are not big as a family office. We will get big if we're successful with this. And the next thing that I have to do is to bring in the right people around me. And so, you know, I'm constantly interviewing for advisors. I'm constantly looking at deals, you know, those kinds of things because I'm trying to figure out, you know, if the Lord takes me home tomorrow, can this entity exist without Trey being the CEO? Can the culture handle it? Can the people that are around it drive it? And can they produce the numbers that we've all agreed as a family we want to achieve? That's great, man. I
1: think that's, let me ask you this. I'm young. I have a younger brother and, you know, we're both successful and we're doing well. I, I love this. I love this vision like of, of creating a family, a gen, like thinking generationally for our families to come when we don't have millions of dollars yet, though, or for investors listening right now. Um, and this is I want to end because, because of your experience and creating culture, but then also in the family office. It's just a beautiful mix. How can people begin to think and set up their, like, if they're not big enough yet to have a family office, but that's what they aspire to.
0: How do yeah, Ellis, I'm not that big enough. To, I'm not big enough to have a family office. The the normal family. I'm in a family office mastermind because, like you, when I want to learn something, I deep dive into it and that sort of thing. There's guys managing 400 million, 800. There was a, a a French guy in the last meeting that we were in. Seventh generation of his family managing over 400 million euro right now. Wow right he's got a staff of 6 investment analysts and i'm sitting over here and it's all me everything's me there's nobody else making any concerted effort except hey it's the end of the month can i get my check you know mm-hmm. the family lives off this money and that sort of thing so i'm not big enough to have it either it's just conceptually so i went to my grandfather who's who's still alive he's 88 years old he's a fabulously successful career and i sat with him and said you're not going to be here forever he knows that he's no dummy What are you going to do to maintain your legacy? Do you want to just give the money away, hopefully to us, but maybe to charities or whatever that happens to be? Do you want to keep the legacy growing, doing the exact same things that you were doing? He's been a developer. He's been in the insurance business, those things, you know, or or is there something I'm not considering? And so he had a very specific way to go about it, and he inched in with us. He didn't say, here's millions of dollars right off the bat. He said, here's here's six figures, let's see what you do with that. And so we've done smart things with it. We had a great uh, return on that. It doesn't matter the the number, right? Those who are trusted with little will be entrusted with more. You can start small, but you have to have those tough conversations with different generations vertically, but also different members of generations horizontally. So working, I worked with my brother Uh, for 10 years and we had that conversation for 10 years successfully and then it stopped being successful and so we had to have a different conversation at that point that we didn't want to be aligned in that way forever and uh, and so it's all about sort of fierce loving but truthful authentic conversations that's i I don't mean to be so general in it but it really doesn't matter if you take a hundred thousand bucks or twenty thousand bucks or four hundred million bucks The conversations are the same. The zeros are different.
1: Guys, this has been a freaking masterclass. I'm so thankful for you, man. Guys, if you you want to learn seriously about how to become the CEO of anything in life, clearly this man has the answers. A CEO only does three things by Trey Taylor. Um, You want to go to Amazon and grab that book. I mean, I'm telling you for 20 bucks, To be able to take this and digest this over several weeks, I just can't think of a better investment. Trey, I'm so grateful for your time, man. Besides your book, um, best ways to connect with you or follow you on your journey, brother. How how can folks do that?
0: Yeah, I've got a lot of people that are following uh, sort of the daily, weekly writing that I'm doing. I do that on a newsletter called Plant Your Flag. Uh, The the website for that is plantyourflag.live. And, and my, my supposition there, my assertion there, Ellis, is we should plant our flag tall enough that other people can find us. And so that's what I'm doing. And I work through things philosophically in that newsletter. And it comes out whenever I want to hit send on it, once a week, you know, once every two weeks, three times a week, that kind of stuff. I talk about venture capital, investments, tons of real estate, uh, personal experiences that I have. I talk about wine because I'm a sommelier wow, and I love wine. F. You know, all that stuff's in there. Okay. And And I got about 10 or 11,000 people that are getting that thing and really, really digging it and commenting on it and that kind of thing. So that's one way. And then uh, for consulting, or if you want some additional information on uh, the graphic that we shared and that sort of thing, you can get me at uh, www.trinity-blue.com. We'll put all that
1: in the show notes, Trey. Um, Man, this won't be the last conversation between us. I'm grateful you had the time. Thanks so much, man.
0: Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me. It's always fun to mix it up.
1: Everyone, if you are enjoying if you enjoyed this episode, if you're enjoying season two, we have been rocking it out of the house. I think we're just incredible guests. Your time to go and take a screenshot of this episode right now, seriously, and post this on LinkedIn or post this on Instagram wherever you do social media and tag me at, at wherever I'm at, you know, or tag Trey and just tell us your big takeaways for this. I'm telling you that goes, that, that is such a huge help sharing this episode on one of your social media. So screenshot on your phone, or on your computer and go do that for us now. I really appreciate your partnership and helping us take this message of kingdom entrepreneurship, becoming a better kingdom leader, stewarding your wealth, your business, multiplying your money and your impact uh, for God and His glory. Uh, help us partner with us in that by sharing this message. So thanks again, everyone. We'll see you next week. Cheers. Hey, just because the show is over doesn't mean the journey is. Listen, if you're a faith-driven real estate professional or investor, then you'll want to go to thekingdomrei.com to learn about our mastermind. If you're interested in investing alongside me in alternative investments like multifamily apartment complexes, then head to ellishammon.com to learn more about that. Cheers.